0: Hi, I'm Claudia, and you're listening to The Brain and Brand Show, where you'll hear science and inspiration from guests like neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swartz.
1: Hey guys, welcome to The Brain and Brand Show with me, Timothy Maurice. Thanks to everyone who has commented and engaged about how much you enjoyed my most recent three-part arousal series. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't listened, go back and check it out after you hear this episode. I have some really exciting interviews coming up exploring breakthrough insights about human behavior and how to apply behavioral science to your personal branding and leadership journey with interviews from professors at Harvard and extraordinary authors on behavioral science. I can't wait to share them. Today, I'd like to share a conversation I had with MIT neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart about her latest book, The Source – a book that Deepak Chopra said marries universal truth with scientific rigor for a persuasive, important exploration of the law of attraction. Basically, the reason I want to share this conversation is you'll be inspired to take your ability to manifest your goals and dreams through vision boards, or what she calls action boards. You'll take your power to use these tools far more seriously. When a neuroscientist, who teaches at MIT, shares the brain science of the law of attraction, this becomes a must-listen-to conversation for anyone hoping to attract your heart's deepest desires. Enjoy. Congrats on the success of The Source. I'm so, so proud of you. How many languages has it been translated into now?
0: It's actually now 36, which is incredible. I mean, I had no idea, like, what was a good number for that. But when it got to, like, 5, 10, 15, then my publisher, Penguin Random House in the UK, were like, wow, this is amazing. And then I think when it launched in the UK last February, it was over 20. Then it came out in South Africa in March and the US in October of last year. And, um, yeah, it just kept kept climbing. And now it's at 36.
1: Wherever you are in the world, the brain is the same, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've all got one and, you know, there's so much more we know that we can do with it now than we were ever aware of before. And I think for various reasons, that's become much more interesting to people, whether it's, you know, whether it's um, resilient aging, whether it's neuroplasticity, um, whether it's kind of, you know, getting some more zen and calm into your life. There are just so many reasons to want to know how you can make the best of your brain.
1: Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it seems that there could not have been a better time for your book to come out. Did you know something that we didn't know?
0: <laughs> um, I, I didn't know something about what's going on right now, obviously, because it came out in February 2019. So I was writing it like late 2017 to 2018. But I have to say <laughs> that whilst I was writing it, I did think, oh my goodness, this book is going to come out at like just the right time. And and actually, one of the things that I want to talk, you know, speak with you about, and I think is the reason that you contacted me now is actually what's happened since it came out has been just so revelationary for me in terms of, um, you know, merging that spirituality and science.
1: As a neuroscientist who practice psychiatry and does leadership coaching, mental training, how have you merged the sort of internal sort of spiritual and your scientific rigor, how have you merged them into a discipline for yourself and for your clients?
0: Well, like you, I've always had that side to myself, but for me, I kept it very separate. Um, you know, I grew up in the UK to Indian parents. And so I felt like the, you know, the things that I had to do within each of those cultures, I had to keep them separate as a child. That's how I coped with it. Um, and then I went to medical school and I sort of kind of left the spirituality piece aside a little bit um and really focused on the science and then yoga became like a popular thing and you know I really got into that mostly because my my peer group, like, you know, not of Indian origin, were actually getting into yoga. So it felt like it was just like the thing that everybody was doing now. And I actually took to it really naturally. And I loved it, especially the meditation aspect of it and things. And then I suppose for me, you know, I had a bit of a sort of life change or crisis. I had a big career change. Um I got divorced. And that's when I was really forced to return to that in a big way. Um And so Then, you know, many, many years passed and I had this idea of looking into the science behind the laws of attraction. And well, I must have somehow attracted this because I was the world's first neuroscientist in residence at a hotel in London, the Corinthia Hotel. And there was a lot of press about that. And then Penguin Random House approached me and said that they had books on sleep and stress and exercise and mindfulness. And they thought that I could write one that would encompass all of those things. And I remember saying, I could do that, but I have another idea. And they told me later, actually at my book launch party, that when I said I want to write about science and spirituality and the science behind the laws of attraction, they said we could have got the pen and the contract out right there and then. So, you know, like you said, it's a bit of a zeitgeist kind of moment.
1: I mean, you say early in the book that this was personal.
0: For me, somebody who's maybe been too used to keeping things separate. So, you know, had a very like strong work ethic and a very professional you know, my professional life was very professional. I would keep my private life out of it. It was actually a moment of huge vulnerability for me. And in a way, like if a stranger reads the book and the story of my life, that feels OK. But quite a few people that know me said, oh, I didn't know this about you. Or, I didn't know that about you. And um I think for me to have done that is probably like what the real spiritual piece is about. Just, you know, like kind of heart opening in a way. And then, like I said, since it came out, the response has been so incredible. Just the messages I've had, the, the stories of how, you know, people have done an action board or a vision board and changed their life or, you know, just the impact hearing the story of that big career change has had on people has really pushed me further along that spectrum from the science to the spirituality and made me feel like that's okay for, you know, your professional life to have a huge element of spirituality to it. It's not all about having a PhD and a medical degree and you know, being a professor at MIT, like these things are, they're all important. They all contribute to some sort of like leap forward for, you know, whether it's an individual person or society or humanity. So that's, you know, I've learned a lot since the book came out.
1: Oftentimes the sciences and particularly neuroscience can seem so sterile and cold and calculating. It it felt soulful. It felt wonderful to read a book about the brain that was so soulful.
0: Oh, you put that so beautifully. And I, I can't tell you every time I hear something like that, it just makes me so happy. And yeah, I think people have said similar things in different ways. But you've you've put that just, you know, absolutely beautifully. Um So I, you know, I've loved neuroscience for a long time. I did my PhD 25 years ago when it wasn't You know, it wasn't a subject that was of particular interest to people at the time. I mean, we didn't even have sophisticated scanning techniques. I was in a laboratory cutting up pieces of brain and making microscope slides. It wasn't as sort of exciting as it is now. I'm glad that you feel like I've put it like that in the book. But I think the whole subject has just become more important and not just important in a professional scientific way, but important to people's lives. Like life can be tough. And if you know that you've got the resources within you, to manage that a little bit better, that's actually a huge relief.
1: You opened the book with a quote by William Henley. And really, I mean, most people will know this quote, but I'm going to read the whole, a return to the source. And it reads, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What do you think keeps people from being the captain of their soul?
0: Um, I just want to say like you know, just hearing you read that quote out again, that um, books are written in a funny way. So often you go back to the beginning once you've actually completed the the bulk of the book. And that preface and that quote, I couldn't reread that to do, you know, to do the sort of final version without crying so many times because it just. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, there was a time I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of what people would think of me, afraid of making the wrong career choices, afraid of making the wrong relationship choices. And so I think that there's a lot of the weight of expectation, whether it's parental expectation, societal expectation, or just the standards you have for yourself. But, you know, obviously that's sort of entrenched into your brain through everything that you experience as a child. You know, it's a natural survival mechanism for the brain for us to be afraid of potential threats to our safety. That's a huge part of the book, which is you have to work hard to overturn that negative gearing of the brain that like you can choose to think abundantly rather than to live in fear or live on autopilot. Those survival mechanisms in our brain have been there for millennia since we lived in the cave. They're not relevant to modern life anymore. I mean, obviously, I'm not suggesting people take crazy risks with their work or their relationships, but there's a lot. There are a lot of steps that we can take that we don't take for fear of. Those smaller things like what people will say or like, you know, maybe like how much money we'll lose or earn if we make a certain decision. So it was really about if you understood the science of how that worked in your brain, that you could just be a lot braver.
1: You know, as a reader, the four parts of the book really does set you up for addressing this challenge. And the part one is science and spirituality. The second part is the elastic brain the third part of the agile brain and part 4 is firing up the source at what point did you settle on this structure i know that as a writer at times um you can go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth when did you settle mm-hmm. on this is the approach that i want to take with this book
0: in a way i'd like to make a metaphor between you know how that process occurred and how every you know neuroplasticity works in the brain which is that our brains are being constantly moulded and shaped by everything that we experience. And so I started off over the summer of 2017, just researching the science behind the laws of attraction. Although, you know, I was interested in it and I thought this was a good place to start. I was quite surprised by how much science there was to quite easily back up the laws of attraction, something that has fascinated people for a long time, but has also been written off as quite woo-woo. So when i did that research and i thought okay um wow this is actually really makes sense from a cognitive science point of view that to me was then the sort of spine of the book but interestingly because penguin are very very involved they helped me so much and they felt that alongside that the vision board and the visualization aspect was something that was really interesting to people at the moment and they seemed like things that you know you could really put together so we you know we gave equal weighting to the visualization and what I call action boards which are vision boards but you know you have to do something to make them come true so that's kind of where the science really um, promotes the spirituality which is that it's not about dreaming of some fantasy life and wait and just waiting and hoping for it to come true it's about taking agency over your own life and using the power of your brain to make those things come true or at least make them more likely to come true I wanted it to be really practical. And I did go back and forth on whether there should be lots of exercises throughout the book. But in the end, we decided that, you know, that fourth section should be completely practical. And it's got a chapter on how to make a vision board. It's got particular meditations and visualizations and exercises to overturn that negative gearing of the brain. So, you know, a lot to do with abundance. And I just quite liked the way that if you wanted to, you could just go to the last four chapters and just do the exercises. But if you wanted to read about how the brain unfurls in an embryo and, you know, becomes a baby and then grows throughout adulthood, then you could read that too. You know, I'm the kind of person that reads a book from beginning to end, but I quite liked the fact that it would appeal to people with different types of brains and different attention spans and different interests. So up until the very last moment, there were major changes in the structure of the book, actually.
1: I feel that I want to jump into, I know people are eager to hear a bit of how do we apply this, you know? Um, but before we do that, let's explore how sort of change, change happens in the brain when it's sort of thrust upon us. You've gone through some sort of traumatic experience. I know that a lot of people have been locked out in their homes and, and it hasn't been the ideal conditions. There's been a lot of domestic violence. There's just been so many traumatic people experienced a lot of forced change. And what is sort of the difference mm-hmm. between forced change and proactive change in the brain?
0: Well, actually, and this isn't something I've really spoken about before like this, but for me, going through what we're going through now, I've actually experienced the range of forced change and proactive change. So, you know, I had a forced change when I I got divorced and I decided to change career at the same time. So it was very, very stressful. And the main thing to talk about there is the high levels of the stress hormone cortisol. And I'll, I'll talk about what that does to us. Before I started my U.S. book tour, I did a three-month resilience program for myself where, you know, I ate really clean. I had, like, no alcohol or caffeine. I did lots of exercise. I took my supplements. I did all my journaling and meditation because, you know, I was going to be on the road for several weeks traveling back and forth between the UK and the US, staying in, you know, unknown places. I was lucky sure. that I got to stay with friends for some of that time. But, you know, I had to mentally prepare myself to be away from my family to, um, you know, to receive praise, which... I wanted to stay grounded around but also potentially to receive criticism. So I, you know, I really prepared myself for that and it was still super tough, but I know that all the things that I did helped me to navigate the jet lag and the, you know, just all the sort of personal appearances and everything better than I would have otherwise. So what was quite interesting is that within a few months of that kind of, you know, winding down, this crazy thing happened in the world. And even though I, you know, I know that I did a big resilience program last year that I I know that so I can say I went through something that was really challenging and I feel you know proud of the way that I managed it. This time in our world now is hard. And, you know, it's hard even if you've got space in your home and like outdoor space around you and, you know, some good people around you. But like you said, you know, there's. Massive increases in the percentage of domestic violence in every country around the world right now. So, um, so if you don't have those things, if you're in a confined space, if you can't get out, if you have tension with the people that you're, you're in with, then of course it's much, much harder. And so from the very lowest level, because this is something we've never experienced before, it's just causing this chronic background stress. And that means that the levels of cortisol in our blood are high all the time. And the thing, the way that that shows up physically is, that it dehydrates our system so anything from having drier hair skin and nails to experiencing changes in your digestive system like you know more likely going towards constipation and not you know not going to the loo as much as put the toilet as much as possible um sort of more extreme than that it can be that your brain gets dehydrated and you're experiencing this terrible brain fog and it's just 10 times harder to do all of the things that you need to do just to keep the household running and maybe to be able to work from home. And you know, if you also have to home, homeschool your children, then it's just such a big challenge and it can affect your sleep and it can affect just your health and your energy and your immune system and everything. So there's that going on in the background. Um, and so I've been really careful to say that this isn't a time where we should say, well, maybe we're locked up at home and we're not working, so we could take the time to be super creative or you know, learn a new language or build up our brand. It's actually the time to embed what I call micro habits which are small things that build up your brain and your you know physical um performance that you can take with you through you know the rest of this year next year and into your life so if for example you know that you should sleep more than you do then you can start going to bed half an hour earlier if you aren't in a really good habit of drinking water that's something that you can build into your daily routine now because it's a, you know it's a much smaller Sort of structure that you're operating in. If you feel like taking some supplements like probiotics, which are really good for your gut bacteria and they have a direct connection to the intuitive part of the brain, you could start taking some supplements and you could make that a habit so that in two, three, four weeks' time, you know, whether a change is imposed upon you or you choose to make a change after, you know, sort of reflecting on your life, you're just more physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually able to put the energy into doing that in a really positive way.
1: And in terms of, you know, the role of law of attraction and action boards at this moment, how can they play a role? What are some simple uh, ways we can start um, applying the kind of law of attraction?
0: Well, in the laws of attraction, the one that I've placed as number one, and I do actually think is the single most important one, is having abundance in your life. So that starts with your, your thoughts and your subconscious beliefs. And so that isn't something like, you know, Timothy, you're super abundant and I'm not. It's something that we can all build on every day. In the book, what I've tried to do is go through history, through ancient cultures and bring up examples of things of the way that they lived and then back that up with science. So a really simple one is that in, um, in Buddhism, there's a teaching which is replace every negative thought immediately with a positive thought. And so if you, if you think about how neuroplasticity works in the brain there are a few mechanisms for building up these these pathways in the brain for the way that we think or you know the job that we do or the skills that we learn and so you can't really undo a certain way of thinking in your brain you have to overwrite it with a new desired way of thinking so actually if you take that ancient eastern philosophy then if you start thinking you know i might lose my job or life's never going to be the same again then you can choose to create a positive affirmation or a mantra that replaces that so that you stop thinking that so much. And you have actually another sentence that you use to think like this is a great opportunity. This is a chance for me to make the change that I've always wanted in my career or something like that. So I think for each person, if there's a particularly negative thought or anxiety that you have that keeps recurring for you, then. Try to work out what the opposite statement of that is, and use that as your own sort of mantra. You can use it in, you know, as a meditation practice, or you can just use it when you're feeling when you're feeling down. Um, And then the second part of the laws of attraction, which relates to these action boards, is manifestation. So that's creating in the real world the things that you, you know, would like to have in your life. And because visual imagery affects our subconscious really strongly, um, I recommend making a collage by hand. Although, you know, at the moment that can be a bit trickier. But so you can use um something like Pinterest or Corculus to create like a pin board on your devices. This can be either just images that you like. I mean, I had created my action board for 2020 in you know, just before the beginning of January. But some of those things just they're not achievable at the moment because of the situation that we're all in. And so if I do ever get a magazine or, you know, I find some images somewhere on the internet, I'm just collecting images that I like at the moment. It's really interesting at the moment. My images are all like really vibrant colour and very exotic and you know, I think they oh, are wow. yearning yeah. to sort of trap <laughs> Yeah. Um Obviously, I'd you know love to be back in South Africa at some point sooner rather than later. So I think there's, you know, I know that that's kind of at the back of my mind. But it's about either finding images that just resonate with you or images that represent things that you want in your life. So, for example, when I was writing the book, I sort of, you know, I consciously looked for images that either of a book or a, bookshelf or you know a pen or something and i i didn't find anything that i really loved and then i found this really cute image of like a very old-fashioned typewriter and i just knew that was it and i had that on the center of my board for you know the year that i was writing so it's basically about metaphorical or real representations of the things that you want in your life and the way that it works in the brain is that because we're bombarded with so much information all the time like Everyone we see, everyone we speak to, every emotion we experience, every memory we recall, whatever we watch on the TV or look at on the internet, um, your brain has to filter some of that stuff out because we can't sort of consciously acknowledge every single thing that we experience. Just like, you know, you're not aware of your clothes on your body all day. And so that's called selective filtering. And then there's selective attention, which is, you know, what we actually notice out of the stuff that's been, um, remained after the filtering. And then there's a process in the brain called value tagging, which puts an order of importance to things that we want in our life. Now, if you're rushing around working hard, looking after your family, then you may not have the luxury of thinking about, you know, what you really want in a year's time or five years time. But if you created this board and you keep it in a prominent place, preferably somewhere close to your bed, because the subconscious is most um, open to being primed just before we fall asleep, then You're just more likely to notice and grasp opportunities related to images that are on that board because every day you're reinforcing to your brain, these are the things that I want. And so when something that resonates with that comes into your real life, you're just much more likely to act on it than if you're super busy and distracted and haven't spent any time thinking about it.
1: What is something on your uh, action board that we would be surprised to know that it's on there?
0: I was waiting for something like this because you always ask me, (laughs) like, a really. Like out there, questions. But um, just okay. What's a lot? There's a lot of stuff on it that's still to do with the book and a TV adaptation of the book and travel. Probably. Oh wow. Maybe okay. something. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe something that you'd find surprising. I've got a few quotes on there about things like um, if you. So one of the quotes is: "If you really want to fly, let go of everything that holds you down." So I have a little section on there about making space for the life that I want, because and this really relates back to kind of how we started this conversation, which is it's very easy to be on a certain path. And especially if you're getting lots of people saying, oh, this book's amazing. And, you know, are you going to write another book? And, you know, sort of, you know, just having expectations for you because of things that may be aspirations that people have for themselves. It's very easy to get caught up in that and just keep on that path and not actually sit back and think, well, is this what I really, really want? And what really struck me after writing the book is that I wrote about a change that was thrust upon me um years ago. And it's quite easy to write a book looking back and saying, you know, this change was not expected or welcomed, but I made the best of it, and now all of these learnings have come out of it and, you know, all of these sort of other achievements. But if I'm putting this book out into the world and I'm asking people to take agency over their life and make changes that they secretly desire, but maybe haven't been brave enough to do so, then I should also be brave enough to do that. It's not enough to say the book's come out and I've got, you know, this business that I created that I love. I should be challenging myself as well because it comes back to the question that you asked about what's the difference between change that you didn't expect or you didn't want and change that you, Bring into your life. And the main difference is that you don't have that same level of bad stress associated with the change that you bring into your life. Um, just before lockdown, I'd started attending a um, history of art course. And, you know, unfortunately I had to st- stop doing that, but, um, you know, it sort of made me think about when I was growing up, I didn't have that many choices. I had a very strong expectation from my family to become a doctor, but also I needed a job that would be stable and would, you know, Earn me enough money to have a decent life. I didn't have like, you know, wealth or expectation around being looked after in in any way. And I would always have thought somebody that could become an art historian or an actress or a ballerina probably had just you know had no financial pressure and could make whatever lovely choices they wanted to make. And so even for me, just being able to do that course just feels like I've worked really hard and I've kind of earned the right to do something that I always thought was a very like luxurious choice. So I'm not saying that I'm going to go off and be an art historian. I'm certainly never (laughs) going to make it as an artist. (laughs) Um, But I just think, you know, all of those sort of things, like one of the things I write about in the book is that because I wasn't good at art at school, I was told from a very young age that I wasn't creative. And I believed that for over two decades. Um, So one of the things I'm really exploring is what does creativity mean and and, you know, really acknowledging to myself that I am creative in so many ways and there are so many other things that I could have done. And so actually in this enforced lockdown, I'm really spending a lot of time thinking about what what would I do now if I could do anything?
1: And for anyone who's still questioning the power of an action board or a vision board, uh, you're going to find this story really funny. So I received an email a couple of years ago from a young woman who was inviting me. Actually, it was a DM on Facebook. So I received this DM on Facebook from a woman who's trying to invite me to a conference and she'd been trying to reach out to me for a while, but you know, the timing wasn't really aligned, but in her tone, she was quite flirtatious. So I click on the photo and she's very attractive. And so I decided, you know what? I'm single on her profile. It says single. So let me just see what happened. So I say to her, I'm going for a run. I'd love for you to have replied yes to the following. And I type. There is a film festival in the afternoon and there is a, um, a lovely restaurant next to the film festival. I'd love to have a conversation about this conference and get to know you. So I go for a run and I come back and she says, yes. So I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. So we meet, for, we meet for the film festival and we are walking, we leave the film and we're walking to dinner and she stops in the middle of, um, the mall. And she whips out her phone, and she says, you have to see my vision board. She zooms in, and there's a photo of me uh, in an article that I had written uh, for a magazine. No. And then she says, before I left home, I told my boyfriend that I finally get a chance to meet my mentor. <laughs> so oh, no. I thought I was on a date. <laughs> thought i was on a date
0: (laughs) that's so funny
1: wait the story's not over quickly then she says
0: okay yeah
1: yeah would you would you mind if my boyfriend joins us for dinner so i end up paying for her and her boyfriend
0: (laughs) (laughs) so these vision boards are really powerful
1: yeah exactly
0: exactly um you've actually reminded me of a story which is that i was staying with my friend judy in new york when my book was coming out in america and she said you know let's go just let's walk around iconic new york places for half a day and i'll take some you know or my nephew will come with us and take some photos of us with the book and everything and at one point we sat sat on the steps of new york public library um and there was a wedding going on behind us so this beautiful you know long train of a white wedding dress as women walking up behind us and we're sitting on the steps I'd already done my photo at Grand Central Station because I have a thing about gossip girls. So this is all very much, you know, dreams come true.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. And
0: <laughs> um so I posted that photo on an Instagram story later. It was just a really nice one of me with my friend chatting and she was holding the book and then this beautiful wedding dress in the background. And someone wrote to me and said someone DM'd me on Instagram and basically said that she had met the man that she'd worked with him at New York Public Library, the man that she wished to marry, that she had recently started reading my book and you know, started work on her vision board and decided that after all these years of being colleagues, she was you know, going to try to say something and um, hoped that this would become a romantic relationship. And she literally said, as I was sort of thinking of that, you posted this story on Instagram. It's at New York Public Library. There's a wedding going on in the background and you're there and your friend's holding your book. And I've had thousands of messages like that, pictures from people saying, This is where I am on holiday. Look at the picture on my vision board. Um, there's this delightful thing in the UK called the book fairies. So when a new book comes out, they put a little package with the book and you know, just some little card and they leave them on benches or in public transport around the city. And so the first one of those that I saw, somebody put a thing on Instagram saying I was walking along, um, you know, by the ocean and I saw this package on the bench I thought somebody must have left it there by mistake and when I looked closer it was a message from the book fairy saying that I've received this free book and you know so she put that on Instagram she tagged me and it was like a really it was you know the first time I got a message about someone receiving the book so I followed her on Instagram and literally like a month later she puts a picture of her left hand with an engagement ring on it and oh um, my goodness yeah I know there's just so many things like that and I think I've been doing them for like over 10 years and I've convinced my friends to do the action boards too and that's it's worked really well for my friends you know I know people who've got engaged married pregnant started their own business but when you suddenly get thousands of people that you don't know around the world saying that they've read it and they've made an action board and this has come true it's actually quite mind blowing excuse the pun. the
1: last point I would like to say from my side is that you dedicated this book to your husband and I just thought that was mm. such a redemptive moment that knowing your mm. story and um, I'm sure he must be extremely proud of you as well
0: yeah he is and I, I mean you know I wrote that book every weekend for the first year of our married life um, oh, whilst working wow. full-time and traveling to America traveling to Australia um, and you know he he never complained or anything at all but the day that it came out, actually, it came out on Valentine's Day in the UK. My husband was at work and my stepson walked me to the bookshop to see it on the shelf for the first time. And he had to reach it down for me because it was too high up for me to reach. And he just looked at me and said, all those weekends and now it's in the shop. And it sort of made me realise the impact that it had, had on him as well. Um So, you know, that's really lovely. And they've definitely both been part of the journey. but. Like you said, you know, the story, you know, I've included my own neuroplasticity journey in it, which was was a sort of very traumatic breakup of a first marriage. Um So to have come full circle and, you know, found love again um was it was, you know, it was hard work, too, because I had to really pick myself up from saying that I would never put myself in a position where I could get hurt like that again to, you know, healing my brain and. Learning ways to be resilient. Um, and But yes, I do feel very fortunate that I have um, a partner in that now.
1: Take care of yourself and hope to have you on again soon.
0: Thank you so much, Timothy.
1: I can't thank Dr. Swart enough. The source is available in print at all good bookstores around the world, on audio as well as ebook. You can also visit her website by going to www.taraSwart. Thanks for listening and do share this with someone you care about and remember to rate us. By doing so, the podcast platform will promote us to more people. Until next time.